Have you ever watched hockey? Hockey is a crazy game. In hockey, guys wear pads to cover their shins. That makes sense. They wear pads to cover their thighs. That makes sense. They wear pads to cover their chest and their shoulders and their hands, but not their face. Never made sense to me. I mean, just so we're all clear, you need a face. Teeth are helpful. I saw a picture one time of a guy who's missing a tooth. And it said, why go to the dentist? Because the first thing you notice is this guy has no tooth, not that he has no eyebrows. And he had no eyebrows. But hockey players, imagine if a hockey player went out to play and he just chose, "Eh, I don't need gloves today. I don't need to wear a helmet. I don't need a chest protector. I don't need shoulder pads. I don't need, I don't even need skates. I'm going to go out in tennis shoes. Uh, But I put, he, he puts everything else on but the skates. He puts everything else on but the gloves. What kind of foolish would that be? He wouldn't be able to compete the way he's supposed to. You can't play that game without having the right equipment. And you can't play that game without putting all of that equipment on. Interestingly, in this passage, we'll see twice as we read Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, we will see two times as he speaks about the armor of God, he speaks of the whole armor of God. Not the partial armor, not the pieces you like, not the fun ones to have, but the whole armor. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." Today, we are looking at half-ish of this list. We've already stated we need to put on the whole armor, but there's too much content to go through in one day, so we're going to look at half-ish of this list. And I say half-ish of this list because it's not a list that can be broken into two equal pieces. 
because there are seven pieces of armor. We brought that up last week. How many pieces of armor are there? Someone said, I'm going to go with seven because there's two shoes. It's like, that's a good, that's a good one, but no. Seven for a different reason. Let's count them. Take the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet fitted with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith. My pinky is up right now. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. But that's only six. How did I get seven? I promise I can count to seven. Josiah and I had this conversation yesterday because we're both trying to count something and, and we both counted seven and then we convinced ourselves we were wrong and we only got to six and then we recounted and we got to seven. And I was like, I really can count to seven. I know I can. The last piece of the armor is communication. Praying in the spirit. Uh, just imagine, we're, we're getting into prayer next week, but just imagine you've got soldiers out on a field and they all have earbuds in noise-canceling everything, and blinders on so that all they can see is right in front of them. No idea what anyone else is doing. What kind of army are you going to be running? The kind of army that has no idea what it's doing. The last piece of this armor is the communication with God through his spirit. Uh, what does that mean? How does that look? We're going to get into some of that next week. Today, we're looking at the belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness, the feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, and number four, the helmet of salvation. Next week, we will look at the shield of faith. We'll look at the sword of the spirit, and we'll look at praying in the spirit. Why do you need to put on the whole armor of God? Why do we need all of it? Right? Last week, we talked about this and we, we, uh, this concept. We talked about how he says, finally, right, as the last piece, the coup de gras-ish of speech, as the last piece put on all this armor. But why do we need all of it? That's a legitimate question. Why does it have to be a set? Why can't it just be pieced together with whatever pieces we want to wear? In trying to look at scripture as a whole, we could jump to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And this is called the fruit of the Spirit. For the fruit, the singular fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. One piece of fruit. One kind of fruit. One fruit. Not a whole bunch of fruits. This isn't apples and pears and oranges. This is one fruit. That's what he produces. It's the same concept. This armor is not something that we get pieces of because, and, and there's really a reason for it, but it's something we're to take all of. Do you know what God really is not impressed with? Hubris. And if you're not familiar with hubris, it's me using words that you don't know to show that I'm smarter than you because I'm that important. Okay, it's really pride. And that pride is showing that you are exalted above other people, which we can do by words we use. We can do by ideas that we have. We can do by actions. Or think about it this way. 
We can do by looking at God and saying, hey, this armor is great, but I only need half of it. I got the other half covered. I can take care of those things. I can take care of defending myself against the devil. I can take care. I don't need a shield of faith. I can shield myself, thank you. I don't need feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel. I can drive myself wherever I want to go. What kind of pride does it take for God to look at us and say, here's what I'm offering to you so that you don't die? And we say, don't worry about it, God. I got this on my own. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 makes it very, very clear. God opposes the proud. So if we start at the beginning, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's really easy for us to forget that looking at God and saying, I don't need all of what you've offered to me, is pride. That's why we need the whole armor. Because I'm not strong enough in any of those aspects on my own. I'm not good enough in any of those aspects on my own. But he gives us strength. He gives us might. He gives us power and he gives us armor. So that in him we can be who we're called to be. Unless we choose to do it on our own. And as soon as we think we can do it on our own, we stand in opposition to God. That's not a good place to stand. I think we know that. But it's really easy to forget. It's it's nice to think how strong or capable we are. It's nice to think that we can handle things on our own but we can't. If we look at Romans chapter 12, verse three, we find out a little bit of what this humility that aligns ourselves with God looks like. It's opposed to proud, but it doesn't mean you think you see yourself trash necessarily. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you, who is who? All of the believers in Rome. Okay, this would include us. We're not in Rome, but this is to all believers that he's writing to. Every single one of them. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, more highly than you really are. Think of yourself with honest, objective, sober judgment, which means I look at myself and say, oh, here's an area where I really am weak. Here's an area where I really am not good. But here is an area where I am better. That's honest. It's honest to still say you're better. It's not honest to say you're better than you are. It's also not honest to say you're worse than you are. It's honest to say that you are as good as you are, right? And that's what we're called to. That's humility. It's here's the gifts that God has given me out of his divine sovereign plan. He's given me these abilities. 
okay. I can't pretend he's given me different ones and I can't pretend he's not given me the ones he has. Sober, honest, objective judgment. That's what it means to be humble. So we put on the whole armor of God because we understand that we need him to work through us because we understand that he's offered this to us because we need it. So what is it? The belt of truth. Let's start there. Why? That's where Paul starts. Seems like a good place. We're going to go a little bit out of order by the end of where Paul goes because we're going to take the shield of faith and put it together with the sword of the spirit and with the prayer in the spirit. So we're going to put all those pieces together because they clump well, but we're going to start with the, the belt of truth. Notice, this sounds silly, but notice it's true. It does not say the belt of non-lies. It says the belt of truth. Why did he not say, put on the belt of not lying or of no lies? Because we can not lie and still try to deceive people. Sometimes that's done in fun and in jest and as we're engaging with people. The joke I like to tell people is if I'm lying and you know I'm lying and I know you know that I'm lying, it's not a lie, it's a joke. Because to some extent that is true, but that could get misused. In any way, at any time, if we try to deceive people into doing something or into us getting something, we are not wearing that piece of armor because it is the belt of truth, not the belt of not lying. It's the belt of no deception at all. Do you know what no deception at all looks like? Well, maybe a better question. Do you know what no deception can look like? It can look mean, right? We can take truth and use it as a bat to hit people. But that's not what we're to do. If we're going to use this truth, how are we to use it? Paul's already answered that in Ephesians for us. Ephesians 4.13, speaking the truth in love. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You maybe have memorized this. It's the chapter on love. Oh, isn't that sweet and nice? It's not nice. It's hard. It's like... It's like a beating from verse one till almost all the way to the end, if you really think about it. But here's what it says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, so, so if, I can, if I can speak in all these crazy, fancy, nice ways, but I don't have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to move mountains, but not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I possess to the poor and even surrender my body to the flames to be burned, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Okay, the only way we can really talk about this chapter, these verses, is to look at the chapter as a whole. We don't have time to look as a look at this as a chapter as a whole, but the only way to look at it in the chapter as a whole is to look at it as a chapter amongst three chapters, which really makes up one idea. Okay, that was confusing. 
Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is one of the most controversial passages in the scriptures. Next to it is chapter 14 out of 1 Corinthians. Another highly controversial passage. What does it look like? What does it mean? How are we supposed to use it? And then right in the middle of this, he writes this little section on love. So even if you figure out all of 12 and 14, which nobody has, by the way, and you're not loving to people in the midst of it, you've wasted all that you know. So we come back to the belt of truth, right? This belt that is to hold us together, this belt that is to develop us and show truth to the people around us, if it's not done in love, is a waste. So you can even put on the belt and use it in a way not honoring to Christ, and you're not honoring to Christ. Uh, Why truth, though? Why not just this not lying? It's actually pretty simple. The character of Christ is truth. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the truth. Not a truth, not partial truth, not I like truth. I am truth. Go back to Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16, and we see that God is truth. So that he who blesses himself in so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth. Yahweh of truth, the God of truth. Not only that, if we went to John chapter 16, verse 13, we'd see that the Holy Spirit leads us to truth. So Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit to guide all of the disciples into truth. God is truth and Jesus is truth. That's why the belt of truth must be worn because it is the character of God. If we're true, and if we're true in a way that is loving, we have to be Righteous, which is the next piece of this armor. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. That thing which protects you in many, many ways. Righteousness is misunderstood frequently and we treat it as almost a bad thing. Oh, you're just being righteous. Well, good, you should be. Usually what people mean by that is you're pretending to be righteous. You're acting like you're better than other people because because you don't do what they're struggling with. That's usually what's meant by it. It's just the wrong use of words. Righteousness is good. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he, God, made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, you and I, whose faith is in Jesus, become the righteousness of God. It must not be a bad thing, but it's not our own thing. Notice we're putting on the breastplate of righteousness. We're not putting on the breastplate because we are righteousness but we're putting on God's righteousness. How does righteousness look? 
Righteousness is a thing. It's not an action. So how do we show it? We show it by justice. Uh, The Greek word for righteousness is the same word used as the Greek word for justice. And when used as a noun, it's used as righteous or righteousness. When used as a verb, it's used as just or justice. So we go back to Micah chapter six, verse eight. And I realize we're flying all over the place in this, but it's good. I didn't put a marker in this one. Micah chapter six, verse eight. And what, O man, does God require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Do justice. That's what God requires of us. If we go to Amos chapter five, Amos is hard to find. It's in the Old Testament. Start at Matthew, go backwards. You'll eventually get there. It's Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Hosea. Joel, Amos, Obadiah. It's right in there in these minor prophets. Now, minor prophets does not mean unimportant. It means short. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel, uh, Ezekiel are long prophet books. So they're the major prophets. The minor prophets are the ones that all together are the same size as Isaiah. Amos is in this. Amos chapter five, verses 21 to 24. This is just a bit sobering. It's God speaking. I hate I despise your feasts, which they were commanded to do. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, which they were commanded to do. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, which they were commanded to do, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings, which they were commanded to do, of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. So they're doing all of the things that they were told to do. Why does God hate these? Take away from me the noise of your songs. Do not, to the melody of your harp, melody of your harps, I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters, righteousness like a never ending stream. So, what was happening is the people were doing all the things that God told them to do, but when they did them, they walked away from whatever they were doing and they acted totally opposite or antithetical to what they were supposed to be doing. They showed no justice to people. They showed no compassion or fairness. They did these things and then they walked away and they got what they wanted, wherever they wanted to get it. It was all about them. And so God says, I hate and I despise what you're doing. Put on the righteousness of Christ, which is not our own, but it's a dependence on him to give it. Wear the belt of truth. Wear the breastplate of righteousness. Have your feet fitted with the gospel, the readiness of peace, which simply means this. Imagine, just look at your shoes for a second. Some of you have shoes you like. I mean it. Look at your shoes. You are all wearing them unless you took them off, and that's very likely one of my kids. We all wore shoes. Shoes do something for us in our society. But our society is not who is being written to. Right? We wear shoes because they look the way we want them to. Or we don't have other shoes. But most of us wear them because they are the ones we chose because they looked the way we wanted to or functioned the way we wanted to this morning. That's why I'm wearing these. 
These are not good for basketball. They're not really good for anything other than I like the way they look. What about shoes for them? They walked everywhere they went. Their shoes effectively propelled them to wherever they were going. It's a completely different mindset. Their shoes were an incredibly important feature of their clothing. And without shoes that didn't hurt their feet, without shoes that didn't protect their feet, without shoes that could get them to where they were going, they were pretty much left stranded. So when he says, and on your feet wear the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, where your feet fitted with the shoes of the gospel of peace, ultimately what he's saying is, the gospel of peace should be the piece of your armor that propels you into what you're doing. It's taking you there. So we come back to the same question we asked last week. Is the gospel driving us toward people who need the gospel? Are we being driven to doing that which makes us feel good in this room at this moment, irrespective of the people outside of this, these walls who need the gospel? Irrespective of the people inside these walls who need the gospel more? Or are we driven by this need of theirs for the gospel? Our Outreach and Missions Board is doing everything they can to give us every opportunity we can possibly get to share with them the gospel. It's now incumbent on us to take advantage of what they give to take advantage of the things they've put in place so that we can share the gospel with the culture and the community around us. And the final piece this morning that ties in with that gospel of peace is the helmet of salvation. The pinnacle, the crowning point of Christ's work, right, was the salvation of people for his glory. So, so when we come to a theological point, it's not the salvation of people so that we would get a benefit. It's the salvation of people so that he would be glorified. And in his being glorified, we get the benefit of being saved. But it's about his glory. So he's the helmet. He's the pinnacle. He's that, that crowning piece that also protects and secures, and saves us. I remember biking one time, and, and my brother-in-law got me to go mountain biking with him, which I've done twice. And both times, one time I broke a finger, and one time I broke a wheel. I don't know if this is really for me. So we were out biking, and we had left my shoes at home, and we were going down this really steep hill. My foot slipped off the front of the pedal, so my foot hit the ground. The pedal hit my leg. Things don't go well at that moment. I flipped forward, went down six or eight feet, and I cracked my helmet. I ended up with a concussion. I'm sure of it. If you want a great story, ask Allison. I tried to drive her into a cemetery. Long story, but I was totally out of it. Shouldn't have been driving at that moment. I really shouldn't have been. But I cracked my helmet. Do you know how much more impact my head would have taken had the helmet not been there to protect me? Right? The helmet of salvation is that thing which protects us from death. It doesn't mean you're not going to get your bell rung, but you're protected from death. 
Those are the pieces of armor that we need to start with and say, we need these and we need the helmet because the gospel is needed, not only for the people out there, but for us and we need to rely on it. The gospel needs to propel us forward as we take the message of Christ to the people around us. The breastplate of righteousness we have only because we have the righteousness of Christ given to us. And the belt of truth we wear because God himself is truth. And we stand in his character. And so we wear this armor that he gave us and we put the whole armor on as the final command of the, in the book, in the letter. Because we need what he offers. We cannot do it on our own. We do not have the strength. We do not have the ability and it's prideful to think that we can choose the parts of the armor that we need. We need it all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to look at these parts of your armor as we look at what it means to stand firm in your word, to stand firm against our enemy with the armor that you've provided. We pray, Father, that you would be glorified and honored we pray that you would be our focus, that you would be the centerpiece of our thoughts. And Father, wherever we need to be changed, change us. We need your spirit to do that. We need your spirit to work in us. We do not have the strength to do it on our own. We love you. We thank you for Christ, your son. Amen.